You are in for a treat in the spirit of Norman Vincent Peale. We've got a big-time New York Times bestselling author of The Traveler's Gift, How Do You Kill 11 Million People, The Noticer, and his brand-new book, The Little Things. I'm talking about Andy Andrews. This guy was homeless when he was young, and how he read biographies. Over 200 biographies came out of it, and now is one of the most positive people you're ever going to experience in your life, and he's going to tell us some secrets Welcome, Andy. From Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Hey, first question, and I, I got to tell you, uh, Andy, I am so excited to have you on because you said something that I always believe, and, and I always talk about it's not the big things, but the little things. <laughs> and I've been telling people for years and years and years, uh, let me give you a story to start off with. Years ago, I was in charge of a college campus program in the summer, and we were recruiting all these high school juniors and seniors to come into the campus for a leadership program. And that's who we want to show off to because that's going to be the new students, you know, right. that's who we're going to recruit from. Right. And, and at the same time, there was an elder hostel going on and they let the elder hostel who was there for some kind of little underwater basket weaving or something. I don't know what, whatever <laughs> courses they were teaching those guys at the time. And they let them choose the dinner and they chose liver and onions as the meal. Wow. So the oh. first night, the st- these young high school students showed up on campus they got to eat liver and onions. And so for two, more, for two, three years, this went through the stories about how bad the food service was. Man, if, you, if you're going to impress kids, you know, you want to serve them pizzas and hot dogs and junk food. But people forgot the little things and it just killed them. So you say, why should, why should people sweat the small stuff? You know, Jeffrey, it, it is uh, it's a great story illustrating that that one little thing affected that reputation of that food service for a couple of years. Yeah. And and it it is uh, it is odd that we all look to big picture people. We're like, hey, you know, we want to hire big picture people. We, we want to promote big picture people. People are always looking to say, well, what about the big picture? And and, you know, there's a lot of people who who look at the big picture people and think, I'm not sure they understand all the details that have to be put together that this big picture can come to fruition. And, and so every big picture is created by tiny little details. You know, even when Leonardo da Vinci was, uh, was painting the Mona Lisa, his friends were like after him because they were like Leonardo, you know, you're, 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 you got to make money with this. And he had chosen the smallest brush to, to paint this with, and, just, and this is going to take you forever. And he said, look, I'm creating a masterpiece. And, of course, that's what it ended up being. 500 years later, you go to the Louvre and look at the Mona Lisa. Even with a magnifying glass, you cannot discern individual brushstrokes. And the point is, whatever it is that you're doing, you're creating something with your life, with your business, with your family. And at the end of it all, whether you've created a masterpiece or a disaster, it will have been done one choice at a time, one tiny moment at a time, one little brushstroke at a time. Yeah. It's always amazing. You can have the biggest plans in the world, but, you know, your lowest common denominator, I'll say lowest common denominator, meaning the small stuff. The small stuff is the stuff that stops you. 
Exactly. Is it's that weakest link in the chain, and it, and it is that little bitty stuff. There, there's you know the saying, "Don't sweat the small stuff," which is conventional wisdom. That is, uh, you know, I'm not. I don't think it's very wise. But there's also the saying that if you if you take care of those tiny details, the other stuff will take care of itself. Yeah, kind of like the old adage: uh, "Measure twice, cut once." Right. You know, right. It's, you, gotta, you know, you know what you're building, but at the same time, you cut the wrong board, you're in big ass trouble, man. Yeah. So let, let me go back. So why did you decide to write the little things? What what triggered that? You know, uh, I, I, I you know, the easy answer is I broke out in a cold sweat one day and realized that I didn't have any of this stuff written down. Now, the backstory <laughs> of this is, is that uh, during the past few years, I've really had some incredible success with with businesses, with teams. Uh, you know, I work with uh, special operations and some of our intelligence community, but with businesses, I've helped several businesses double and triple. I, I actually have my hand in the last nine college football national championships in a row. And when I sat down, you know, one, one night with my wife and, and uh, some coach, I, I just got off the phone with him and my wife said, does he know that you only played football in the sixth grade? <laughs> and I, I said, yeah, I think yeah. so. And she, yeah. she said, how are you doing this? And yeah. I and I began to explain, you know, and and it and it hit me that the way that I like we've got one company. I tell you what it is, Fairway Mortgage, and and I worked with them two and a half years. They, they've gone five, 19 years to get to five point four billion, and then after one year they went to eleven point two, the second year to seventeen point four billion, and they're ahead of that pace now. And of course, I don't know anything about mortgages, but what I do is I help people compete at a level the competition doesn't know there's a game going on. It's little mm -hmm. things. And I realized that a lot of these things that had made this happen, I did not have written down. And I thought, man, I have a 17-year-old and a 14-year-old, both boys, and if I croak, they're not, they're not going to know how this happened. And so I thought, man, I got to write this down now. And so this has become kind of a, a business book. You know, chapter 13, the chapter on change is something that, you know, this is not a rehash of, you know, things that people have heard before. You know, we've all read books. Where we go, oh, that's a good way of saying that. I've heard that before, but I've never heard it that way. But there are a couple of things in this book that nobody's ever heard before. Yeah, let me ask you a question. How's, a, how's, how's your fourteen and seventeen year old think about you when you when you say when you pull out the book or start writing it down? You know, actually, I've got two very cool boys. Yeah. Uh, my wife and I, I think the smartest thing that we ever did is by the time they were twelve, they knew that when they turned sixteen, we were not buying them a car. Mm -hmm. That whatever money they had. Uh, you know, that was the car they were going to get. And so they asked us, you know, as I said, how, you know, how do you, how do we get this money? About 13 when they really started thinking about it. And I said, well, you know, you can save grandma's $10 bills every birthday and Christmas and buy whatever you can get with that. Or you can get a job at 14 in our state. And so that'll, you know, I, with school, I don't know if you can work 40 hours a week, but you could do the math and figure out how much money you would have in two years, or you can start your own business. And, and say, I knew that if they started their own business, I could help them with little things because I would be the go-to guy. You know, if, if they had a job, their boss would be the go-to guy. And and so, you know, and my my oldest, my 17 year old, the day he turned 16, 
he uh, he he bought a used GMC Sierra pickup truck and wrote a thirty-five thousand dollar check for it. Paid it off. Wow! Wow! Good for him. That's awesome. Well, I tell you what, this is a perfect time to take a break, though. But right when I hear that, because it, <laughs> because you know it's going to take hard work, sweat, tears. That's what your son did. Yeah, you know to go off and do that. That GMC. I hope it was a step side pickup truck. It was. It was. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The reason I asked that, my dad had one. He, my, my dad. I remember my dad when I was about that same age. He bought a, a step side GMC. I drive Fords now. Wow. But anyway, it's a, it's a good a good truck. Good truck. Well, you know, listen, it may take hard work, sweat, and tears to become a successful entrepreneur, but that doesn't mean you can't have some help along the way. I pick up a double shot of Dunkin' Espresso every single morning to help me make take on those challenges of running my own business and I on the boards that I'm on. And whether you're an entrepreneur or a CEO like myself, you know, Dunkin' is there for you, all America and all business with Jeffrey Hazel run on Duncan. Are you a coffee drinker, Andy? You know, I do like coffee and I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to get some Duncan. I, I am. I'll, I'll, I'll send you, I'll send you a gift certificate. So you at least, right. you know, you know, I don't want you walking over to that four bucks or five bucks and getting there. I want you to go to a real place and get some coffee. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, Hey, I want to go back to your, a uh, little bit of your history because you and I haven't had a chance to meet before, but I was just intrigued by reading about you and the biography and uh, your, you know, your biography and bio. And then one of the things I noticed that you, your parents passed, and you right. ended up and you ended up homeless. Tell me about that. Yeah, my my mom and dad died when I was nineteen, and mm-hmm. my mom died of cancer. My dad was killed in a car accident same year, and so this was a crazy time, as you can imagine. But I, where, I, where were you living at the time? I was actually living in. Uh, and uh, we were in Columbus, Mississippi, mm-hmm. uh, when that happened, and and uh, it, you know, I I've I've always had the ability to take a bad situation and make it worse, and and I did. I you know, being the financial genius that I was at the time, I took uh, I got twenty five hundred dollars. There wasn't a lot of insurance on my dad, and yeah. and I got twenty five hundred dollars, and I spent the entire twenty five hundred dollars on a trailer. I it never even occurred to me that I would have to pay somebody to move it or pay somebody to put it somewhere. So I was already yeah. behind the eight ball, and. And so it took me a couple of years. And I I tell people, you know, the short story was at first I had a trailer and a car. Then I had a trailer and a motorcycle. Then I had a motorcycle and a tent. Then I had a tent. Then I I didn't have anything. I I actually, at about 21, it took me a couple of years to get there, but I I was uh, sleeping under a pier on the Gulf Coast and in and out Mm -hmm. of people's garages, which is not safe or smart, but... But I did, and that's mm-hmm. uh, and that was. It, but it turned out to be uh, an, an amazing time in my life when I look back, because I was, I was obviously, I was bitter. I, I was, you know, because there was no pathology there. I didn't. I, I was not addicted to anything. There was no mental problems. Not any more than I have now, I suppose. But I, <laughs> uh, but but I just, I didn't have any money, and I had quit school and so a lot of you know i quit school right before my dad had died and so there were a lot of adults in my life at that time that had all said you're going to ruin your life you're going to ruin your life and of course two years later when i had ruined my life i i didn't call and ask for help and this was before cell phones or the internet and you know you could live six or seven hours away and nobody knew what you're doing and and so i i just 
kind of toughed it out. I was stubborn and I didn't tell anybody. And what was the what was the biggest thing? I mean, look, I, I kind of grew up with some similar things. My parents didn't pass until later, but I moved out when I was sixteen. I was on my own ever since, and right. And so I know what that's like in terms of having that experience, and then not knowing where your next meal's coming. Sometimes not know where I'm gonna stay. I had those I had those issues. What what was the biggest thing you learned from that? You know. I had an old guy that came into my life, and he started me reading biographies. And mm-hmm. I, I'd always been kind of a Sports Illustrated guy, but he started me reading biographies. And and I I discovered seven things, uh, seven, and I and I really called them things. I didn't even really know what they were. I knew they weren't seven habits. They weren't seven ideas. They weren't mine. I just kind of identified them in the lives of these people. And uh, but it turns out there were principles. And so these seven principles were the things I started yanking myself out from under that pier with. And years later, they became the basis for, I guess, my first novel that really hit was called The Traveler's Gift. And Mm -hmm. and the story about being under that pier was uh, and that man was called The Noticer. Uh, But I, I I learned and I and I am a. I am a firm believer of this, you know, because sometimes, it, Jeffrey, you know, you and I will do television or something and people will look at us and they'll say, you know, come on, do you really believe anybody can be successful? And and yeah. I, I'm like, yes, I do. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and so, so then sometimes they'll say, so the guy in the ditch, he can be successful. And I'll say, well, yes, the guy in the ditch can be because I, and I know that because I was the guy in the ditch, but you got to understand the guy in the ditch cannot like stand up out of the ditch today and then be the CEO of a company. The guy in the ditch has to change. You know, I I have people that come up to me after I speak or after I work with something or they they read one of my books and they see me in the airport and they say, gosh, I wish I'd met you 30 years ago. And I'm like, you you didn't want to meet me 30 years ago. Yeah, I I couldn't have done you any good at all. But but because it's taken me a long time. But It's like you, Jeffrey, with the things that you have learned, you can you can uh, d- refine them down to where somebody can actually take advantage of of what you have gone through and learn it in three or four hours. You know, if people say experience is the best teacher. That's not true. Other people's experience is the best teacher. Yeah, because yeah, the, the ones you're doing right now are painful. Yeah, that's right. I mean, if you want to walk through a minefield, go where people have already been blown up. You know, just walk through the explosions where, the, where the, they've already gone through that. And so the same is true. And so I, I remember I, I, I remember that time and remember being hopeless. And, and I would kind of get some hope and I would, I would, I would then I would lose it again. And and. And, you know, you ask, what was the most important thing? I, I suppose the most important thing was I, I figured out during that time, you know, there's a lot of quiet time. There's no radio, no cell phones, no Internet then and no television, obviously. And I had a lot of time to think. And I actually worked out a proof of hope. And, and I tell people all the time, you know, when I'm working with clients, I say, look, I'm not a motivational speaker. I am not a motivational speaker. You, you go to andyandrews.com, you will not even see that word on there. I, I think it's great to be encouraged, but I am into proof. Encouragement is short term, but you prove something to somebody, they can harness it for their own reasons and they can use it forever. And and so I, I worked out a proof of hope uh, years ago that I've always lived by, and I, I can do it for you in 60 seconds. Here, here's what it is. 
even in the worst time of your life, you got to understand that that is a normal situation, that it's not abnormal. You're not, you, you're not picked on or picked out. You know, we're all either in a crisis, coming out of a crisis, or headed for a crisis. That's part of being with us on this planet. If you're alive, there you go. And, and yet, the worst time of your life, you also need to realize that everybody has one. You look at a, a timeline of a life from birth to death and you say, well, there, there it was. There was the worst time. Everybody has the worst time. But even in the worst time of anybody's life, there is proof of hope. And that proof of hope is that you're still breathing. And, and if you're still breathing, that means you're still here. If you're still here, that means you haven't accomplished what you were put here to accomplish. If you haven't accomplished what you were put here to accomplish, that means the, the, your very purpose has not yet been fulfilled. If, if your purpose hadn't been fulfilled, that means the most important part of your life, the coolest part of your life is yet to come. It's still ahead of you. And so it doesn't matter how broke you might be or how depressed you are or how sad you felt yesterday or how mad or angry you are at the situation, just by the virtue of the fact that you sit here and breathe, there is more success to earn. There's more children to help. There's more friends to influence. There's more to learn. There is more. Amen. Amen. I mean, you sound like a little bit of a Southern Baptist preacher. Are you, you got any of that background going on? You know, my dad actually was a Baptist minister. I was going to ask you what your dad, and how about your mom? What'd your mom do? My mom played the piano. You know, okay. my mom played the piano, played the organ at, yeah. at church. And, and it's, uh, it is one of those things that it was a great way to grow up. And so people ask me sometimes now, say, so you're a Christian speaker. And no, I'm not. I'm a speaker mm -hmm. who is a Christian. Um, you know, I have my beliefs like everybody else, and I'm always after proof of what I believe. And and uh, but I, I am grateful for I'm grateful for the way I grew up. I had a, a very wise father. I remember my father, you know, he's not. He wasn't really what you think of when you think of a Baptist minister. I, I tell people a story. In, in fact, you know, since my dad died and and Jeffrey, I'm yeah, I'm 57 years old, and mm -hmm. and people still come up to me. Older people that come up to me and say, you know, your dad really made a difference in our life. And has anybody ever told you about the time your dad was speaking to that 2,000 women? And I say, yes, people have told me this. But the story was that he, he walked out and he said, ladies, I have three points I want to make today. One is that there are a lot of hurting people in this world. The second point I'd like to make is that most of you in here don't give a damn about any of them. And the third point I'd like to make is, isn't it amazing that you are more concerned about a preacher who said the word damn than you are about all the hurting people? Mm. Wow. <laughs> there was my dad. Yeah, I love to hear that. Is there any regrets in anything you've ever done? You know, it's, it's odd that you would ask me that. I think that uh, the the only thing that I look back on in my life, I, you know, my mom died of cancer. My dad was killed in a car accident. So, you know, my mom, it was 17 surgeries, you know, it was 35 years ago when my mom died and she died of breast cancer, which was a totally different thing then. You know, I mean, 35 years ago, that was a death sentence, but it drug out forever and Everything was said. 
Uh, we yeah, everybody knew everybody loved everybody. There were, I mean, er, everything was done. And of course, my dad that came as a phone call in the middle of the night, and so to this day, you know, I'm never, I am never sad when I think about my mom, but I can occasionally get sad thinking about my dad because I, I think, you know, did he, did he live a little while? Was he thinking? Did he know what? Do, you know what? What did we talk? About? What was the last thing? I'm not really sure when. What the last thing we talked about was? Did, you know, and my point is, I, I I guess I'm uniquely positioned, and I I didn't realize this for years. But when people come up and say, "Hey, this has happened. We've had a death in the family," well, I've had it both ways. I've had it long drawn out, and I've had it as a surprise. And I can definitely tell you that uh, the cancer thing or the whatever the long drawn out thing it's harder but it is so much better it's better uh because if there are any regrets in my life it it it, it might involve my father i mm. loved my dad and and i you know I, I i i just i wonder sometimes about those last moments because it was he was killed because he didn't have on his seatbelt and he mm-hmm. He just uh, was only going 40 miles an hour, but got kind of punched in the chest with the steering wheel and it stopped his heart. He didn't have a mark on him. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I, I Thank you for sharing that. Um, thank you for sharing that. Uh, uh, well, I get, I, you know, and, and I, I appreciate that, but because I, I guess the point and maybe the reason you asked me that and, and uh, you know, because I, I love I'm loving talking to you because you're asking questions and we're talking about things nobody ever talks about. But right. but I, I guess the reason for that is is to urge urge people there. You know, there are you cannot tell people enough how much they mean to you. And how much you appreciate them and and how much you love them. And I'll tell you something, even from a mercenary point of view, you know, I help companies and I help individuals and and there is there is something that is uh, there is a finite and I hate to say it this way, but there is a financial blessing in gratefulness. Man, I'm telling you, most people Never get recognized. There's there's an old saying about uh, recognition, and that is that babies cry for it and grown men die for it. <laughs> and and most people never get any. And so I, I thinking about my dad, I, I thought years ago, my boys and I had come out of a, a convenience store. And my my boys were like 10 and 7. And my 10-year-old was just getting to the age where he could think about being embarrassed by his dad, I guess. And and we'd come out of a convenience store, and I, I had been kind of teasing with this guy. And and he was an older man. And, I you know, I was saying something like, like, what time did you get up to get here this morning? And good grief, man, that is early. And golly, oh, I appreciate you being here. That's, that is awesome. Every time I come in the store, it's so clean. And this place, I know that you're – now, you're the owner of this place, right? And he oh, no, I work here. Come on now. You probably own this place. You just And I was just kind of messing with him, but just tell, just appreciating him. And my, my son, when we got out, he said, Dad, do you – do you have to talk so much to everybody like that? <laughs> and I, I told him, I said, Oss, I said, you know how you come sometime where dad speaks and how 
at, at when I get through speaking, how, you know, the audience, a lot of times I just stand up and they clap and they just keep standing there and standing there. And he said, right. I said, well, that's, got, <clears throat> that's called a standing ovation. And it's where somebody's showing extreme appreciation for something. And I said, most people go through their lives never, ever getting a standing ovation. And I said, and so several years ago, I got to thinking, what would a standing ovation look like for a store clerk? What would a standing ovation look like for a teller at the bank? What would a standing ovation look like for a, for a third grade teacher? And, and you and I, Austin, we want to go through our lives making sure that these people who never get standing ovations get standing ovations from us that they understand how important they are because most people are are put upon and and uh, other people if they say anything to them it is a critical comment and we want to tell them we want to catch people in the act of doing something great that's what Andy, we want to Andy, do that's your next book my friend <laughs> I, i'm serious I, I think that's a profound message of how you know you and i both I look we speak a lot we get out there and you know quite frankly pretty damn good at it you know in the hall right. of fame and so right. forth and 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 i'm done and i get that ovation which is awesome and i go back to my team and they say how to go standing ovation standing go again standing go again i think if more people had those in their lives they'd feel like us they'd be, they'd be more successful in what they do um you know i just think that's a you think about that and I'm going to take a break, but I want you to think about that because I think that, man, that'd be a great new book. Yeah, to- get, and after the after the break, Jeffrey, I, I have a comment I want to make about other people and, and what we can do. To, but thank you for yeah. prompting me on that. You got it. And I'm going to come back to some little things because what you're talking about is the little things. Yeah. Again, these are the little things. This is the small stuff that makes the big stuff happen. And it, whether it's motivation, inspiration, information, you know, or just doing the right things time and time again – that's how you get the big O. That's how it happens. So, well, speaking of big O's, I, it's great to have the good folks at Liberty Tax back on board all business. I love these guys. In fact, I'm going to be doing a television show with them here very soon because I just love what they've done, uh, the way they've done it. They're fastest growing retail tax prep firm, over 4,000 offices across North America. It's a great seasonal uh, franchise opportunity, too. I've talked about that. So if you're looking for a part-time thing during the tax season, this is a great business to get into. And don't forget them. They're the guys standing out in the corner, waving, <laughs> you know, dressed up like the Statue of Liberty. you got to love people that can do that. It takes guts <laughs> to do that. Not just getting paid for it, but it takes guts. It's not easy. And I appreciate people like that because they're, 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 they're making the little things happen, as we said. You, you were going to make a comment. What would the comment you want to make? You know, I, I really think that when – when we look at at people around us and and all the people and the things that they do, we as as Americans, there's one thing that we need to watch out about, and that is that uh, when because because you, you you prompted me by when, when you said that you and I get standing ovations and and if we were able to give those to other people they would feel like we feel i mean because jeffrey you you know you and i feel confident and we yeah. feel happy yeah. and we feel uh, assured and we but, even, but but even at the same time you and i look you mentioned the ditch i've been in the ditch i was right. digging ditches That's i understand right. You know, I was down in Georgia doing the same thing you're talking about. You were doing in Mississippi. Exactly. And so, so I, so I look at these people and, 
And as Americans, we have done children a disservice when we do not put value on certain positions. Because think about this. We, we'll say to kids, you know, we say, so now what are you going to be when you grow up? And a kid will say, well, I want to be a doctor. And we say, that's great. My gosh, that is great. Good for you. I'll help you. And then you know, we ask another kid, so what, what are you going to be when you grow up? And they say, I'm going to be a car mechanic. And we go, well, that's well, good, good for you. You know, you could also be a doctor if you wanted to. You could. You could be a doctor. And, and when did we as a society begin to think less of somebody because of what they did? And so right. one, one of the things that I do uh, with regularity, I see so many. I know you see this, too. I see so many teenagers that if you ask them, if you say, so what do your parents do? You know, they they kind of reflect what we have taught them to think. You know, right. oh, my dad's a he's a neurosurgeon. Oh, good for you. You know, but I had this. I'm telling you, day before yesterday, I asked this young man. I said, "So, what, what does your dad do?" He said, oh, "He works. You know, he works on cars." And and so I have learned what I my response to whatever they say. I'll figure out a way to get there. But but this guy he said, "No, he works on cars." So I said, "Ah." So a smart guy, right? And he said, sir? (laughs) And I said, your dad is a smart guy. He's a smart person, right? And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, he works on cars. I said, (laughs) you know, have you ever looked under the hood? I, I said, I'm lucky I can put gas in one. I said, can you work on those things? And he said, no, sir. And I said, I can't either. I said, your dad can look down in there and he knows what all that is and he can decipher all that. And with all the computer stuff that's going on in there, he, I said, do you know how everybody in society, the doctors, the attorneys, me, you, how much we depend on your dad? Without your dad, it's like the town shuts down. I said, dude, your dad is smart. I wish I could do what your dad does. And and so we need to we need to start not only valuing people, but to make sure children know that we value the profession of their parents. You know, you, you think somebody's just a garbage man? Well, let them stop picking it up for six or eight weeks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. See what the value of that. So let me let me ask you, you argue that it's more valuable for people to ask why than how. I love that question. Yeah, because the, the why, number one, that word gets knocked out of us when we're little kids. You know, our, yeah, our, yeah. our parents go, yeah, please stop asking yeah. me that. Just, just or, don't or they ask say, because I said so. Right, right, right. You know, and so, so it it occurred to me one day that there are a lot of people who know how to to harness a principle, and they know how a principle works. They know how something works, and you can be in first place knowing how. You can be the best in your profession knowing how, but. But Jeffrey, when I work with clients or coaches, I knew I knew several years ago. I have I cannot have normal results. I can't have normal I can't I can't work with somebody and have them only increase 15 to 20% in a year. And the reason is because I'm a nobody. I, I you know I I I don't have a gold medal. I don't have a Super Bowl ring. I don't have a television show. I don't you know I wasn't the CEO of some major company. I'm a nobody. And so if I am to attract clients 
I got to help somebody double and triple and quadruple. I got to have incredible results. And so I realized several years ago that the, and you know, and the more success that I have now, I'm working with people who are in first place. And so there's not a lot of room for growth in their minds because they're already in first place. And so I realized the way to help somebody who's in first, second, third place to help them double and triple is with the why, not the how. Anybody knows how to do it. But when you determine why a principle works as it does, you can use that principle in different contexts and in different areas that most people would never even consider that available for for change. And, and that why will open up doors to uses of a principle that will bring you finances, influence. It's pretty unbelievable to see how it works. Well, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you what, you are getting taken to school. That's a fact right now. That's what's happening with us right today. Andy, I got to thank you very much because we got to get you back, man. I feel like I'm talking to Norman Vincent Peale. (laughs) Well, you're very kind. I, you know, I'm just, I'm just learning as hard as I can. You know, I'm just trying to, sometimes I I feel like I'm a, a sixth grade math teacher in my first year. I'm trying to stay a chapter ahead of the people I'm helping. So, well, you're doing a great job, and we've been talking to our good friend here, Andy Andrews, and we're talking about his newest book, The Little Things, right here on All Business. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, buddy. We're honored to be here, and we're lucky to have you in our lives. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by Dunkin' Donuts. At the end of every show, I like to talk about the things I learned, and I learned a lot. Today was a jam-packed. I could have gone on listening forever. I say that about a number of people, but let me just flat out tell you, this was one of those great conversations. I just wanted to sit back and listen and listen and listen. He sounded like a Baptist preacher, but let me tell you what, it was nothing but gold, 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 gold. No money, no floating down bills. We're talking about gold. Heavy gold was in the message he was talking about. Hey, if you're not in a crisis, you're going to be in one. You're going to be coming out of one. I thought it was great. If you you haven't hit the bottom yet, you're going to hit the bottom, and there's always a top, and the top is going to be as big as you want to make it. So, you know, the success there. And I also like the one about, hey, no regrets. How about tell the people that you love, not only just the ones you love, but people working for you, you don't want them to leave you and then come back and say, I never heard from you. So talk about it. So because there's financial benefit and gratefulness. That's what we learned today. Awesome, awesome, awesome lessons right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. And speaking of gratefulness, I am grateful for you for listening, and I'd be more even more grateful. I'll get down on my knees. I'm begging you. Tell your friends about the show because... That's how we get the word out about what we do right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett on C-Suite Radio or wherever you're listening to the podcast. Welcome to C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.